chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told them this parable. A man had a, so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the gospel of our Lord. August 8th. 2014 happened to be a beautiful day in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And on that day, I stood in a beautiful church in downtown Milwaukee. And I happened to watch as the most beautiful bride wearing the most beautiful wedding dress walked down that aisle, stood next to me, looked at me, and said to me, I do. And I thought out of the corner of my eye, I saw my older brother give my younger brother 20 bucks like he lost a bet or something like that. So I quickly said I do before she could change her mind. And on August 8th, 2014, my wife and I were married. And everything changed. Everything. Everything in my life changed. Now, I don't usually try to make a habit out of talking bad about my wife here in church, but can I just tell you the demands that this woman started to place on my life? Let me just tell you about one. Immediately, she said, no more dating other women. The arrogance, like the audacity to suggest such a thing. She said, hey, you just married me. I said, I know I did. She said, and that means I am the only woman in the world for you. I said, what? She said, yes, that's right. She said, I am the only woman you will ever be intimate with again in your entire life. I said, whoa, 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 let's let's talk this out. There are 365 days in a year and you want me to be with you for all of those? I said, let's compromise. 360 days, I'll be with you. You give me five days to be with whomever I want. That is still less than one and a half percent of the times that I won't be with you. Now that's pretty fair. That's amazing. And oh no, she wasn't having any of it. She said, total faithfulness. She said, there's zero nights that you are going to for anybody else because you are married to me. Is this starting to get uncomfortable for anybody? Well, it's starting to get uncomfortable for me. But why is it when I give a little story, I give a little illustration about me promising to be faithful to a woman and yet also talking about betraying a woman, we think it's just crazy. Why is it that when this, this girl makes these, these absurd claims that I will have all of you all of the time, we don't think it's crazy. I mean, after all, that's what a wife should expect of a husband. A husband and a wife, complete faithfulness. Why is it 
that we laugh and think it's, it's kind of goofy to even suggest that you would be not faithful to two sinners getting married. And yet when we look at our relationship with the Almighty God, the Almighty God who created us, who loved us, who sent his son after us when we died, who sent his son to suffer for us, die for us, and rise for us. And we talk about his expectations of being faithful to him and his word 100% of the time. And we talk about his expectations of us changing the way we live once we start following him. Well, then we think that's crazy. Why is it that we think that it's wild, it's preposterous that anyone would talk about, about a husband and wife and taking time to betray one another and yet we take moments and days, nights and weekends and we betray our God all the time. We betray him when we leave here and we try to blend in with what the world says more than stick out for our faith. We betray our God when we know what he says. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart Love your neighbor as yourself and we just love our God with part of our heart. We don't even get to know our neighbors. Why is that? Well, it's why that our God looking at an entire crowd of people said not once but twice, unless you repent, you too will perish. Repent or die. If you ask me, Jesus is being kind of serious. <laughs> but what's he talking about? Repentance. We're in the third week of our Lenten sermon series, Scandal. We're in the, the special time of the church year that we call Lent, a time where we're supposed to prepare our hearts for the passion of Christ by repenting. But what do we mean by that? Martin Luther, the guy who had uh, a bullet point list of 95 things that were wrong with the church and posted it on a church bulletin board and sparked a movement, that guy, he had something pretty strong to say about repentance. Lord and Master Jesus Christ, 95 Theses, what it said? Martin Luther said this. He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always grown up thinking about repentance as something that stinks, something that's sad, something that is sorrowful, it's remorseful. And so when I look at Jesus' words and he tells me that I am supposed to repent or die, I feel like, hey, like, like say I'm sorry. Sometimes when I, when I do sad or bad or wrong things, sins, I already feel guilty. I already feel like the kiss of death. If I look at Martin Luther's words and he says the entire life of a believer, my entire life of a Christian is supposed to be one of repentance. And I look at what that means, if it's to be sorrowful, to be remorseful, to be sad all the time. I said, I don't know if I'm about that life. I don't know if I want to be a Christian. Repentance. What is it? What does it mean? Jesus said twice to a group, a crowd of people following him, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Each time that Jesus used the word repent, he used a Greek word, a Greek word that was metaneo, which means to change. When Jesus was talking about repentance, he was talking about more than just a feeling of sadness, of sorrow, or regret. He was talking about change. He was talking about changing the way you look at sin, the way you look at life, changing your course of action, and living for him. 
This is what repentance means for the life of a believer. If you're following along on your sermon guide, it says repentance in the Christian's life is one of complete changedness marked by complete faithfulness. It's a complete change from the way you were living. No longer are you living for yourself, but you're living for God. No longer are you living for your desires, but you're living to do his will. And it's marked by complete faithfulness. Complete faithfulness looking to him as the source of our salvation, the source of our life. To make the analogy just one more time, it's just like a marriage. When a young person who is dating other people or dating multiple men or women throughout their life finally gets married, it's married to one woman or or a lady to one man for the rest of their life. It's a life of complete changedness. No longer are they living by the same set of rules. No longer are they doing the same things, thinking the same thoughts, but they're living for one person. And it's one of complete faithfulness. There's no room for betrayal. It's just that. And oftentimes people try to paint all in chain a less than positive picture of marriage. They say, oh, it's uh, the old ball and chain is how they paint a picture of marriage. And yes, marriage has its challenges. Marriage and the changes bring challenge. But if that's your only picture of marriage, well, that's, that's rather sad. No, marriage is much more than that. Yes, it brings long change, but it's good change. It's really, really good. In marriage, because you changed, because you are no longer living as a single person, but you are living according to God's institution of marriage, being faithful to one man, one woman, well, guess what? Then you experience some real blessings. You experience a friendship on an intimate level that you won't find anywhere else in this world. You experience God's gift of sex according to how he set it up to be and you experience the blessings of children. It's a good thing to be married. My life is better because I'm married. And it's the same with repentance. People want to talk about it only the negative side, that it's regret, it's remorse. Go put on sackcloth and ashes and and live out in the country like a monk or a hermit. But repentance is so much more than that. Repentance is living for the one who has loved you. The one who has loved you and changed you and now calls you to live a life of thankfulness and faithfulness to him. It's important that we understand what repentance means. Because Martin Luther was absolutely right. When our Lord said to repent, he meant that our entire lives as Christian people of followers of Christ are supposed to be lives of repentance. And today, we're going to look at two very significant ways that repentance impacts our life. Here's the first. There's a crowd of people following Jesus as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, ultimately, to suffer and die for us. And this crowd of people comes up to him and they throw out a headline at Jesus. They say, Jesus, you heard what happened in Jerusalem. You heard that some Galileans took a pilgrimage there. They went up to the temple. They offered their sacrifices. And that's when Herod's guards, the Romans, struck. And while they were offering their sacrifices, their blood was mixed. They said, Jesus, what awful sins did these people do to deserve this? Because they must have done something to deserve this, right? And this is what Jesus answered. I'm in Luke chapter 13, verse 2. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? 
I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And Jesus gives them one more headline, one more. Do you think happened? Jesus says, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Every single year, the Sunday school teachers would teach the Bible lesson about King David and Bathsheba. You know the story of King David and his affair with Bathsheba. The story where King David, who had literally everything he could ever want, looked at something that wasn't his, something that he shouldn't have wanted, and he took another woman to be his wife. He took her into his bed, he impregnated her, and then to cover it all up, he killed her husband. And if it makes it even more insidious, know this, that husband, that was David's longtime friend and bodyguard. Every year, the Sunday school teachers would teach this lesson, and when you summarize it that way, you wonder why we teach that story to kids. But anyways, they taught it to the Sunday school, and every year, a teacher would come up to the pastor after she taught this lesson, distraught. Just, she couldn't believe that David, a man after God's own heart, would sin that way. She's just worked up about it, and every year she would explain to Pastor, how can I teach this? How can I teach that David was the writer of the Psalms when he went out and he did these things? Well, every year the pastor would remind the same Sunday school teacher that even David had a Savior. Even Jesus came for sins like David's sins because the reality is that the Sunday school teacher, for her part, well, she made her husband's life an absolute living hell. Even though he had been sober for over 30 years, every time that he came home, she would go up and try to smell if there was any booze on his breath. Every time that he drove around without her, he would go out, check the mileage on the car, and she would make him give an account for where he had been. And she even sent her grown daughter to follow him on his way to work because she thought nobody left at 4.30 in the morning and she knew that he drove cement truck. Did this Sunday school teacher commit murder, adultery, and lies in one fell swoop? Well, no. But was she any better? You see, we're not just really, really good at pointing out the sins in other people. Oh, we know we have sins. But you know what we're really, really good at? We're really good at ranking other people's sins. We're really good at looking at other people's sins and saying, yeah, sins are all bad. I got my sins. But who's our worst? And who is we confess? We're really good at looking at who's guilty because, hey, we confess it every Sunday. We're no, we're guilty of sin. But come on, who is more guilty? And who is the most guilty person? And we do this, Why? We do it because at the end of the day, it helps justify. It helps even excuse the sins that we do. And just like that Sunday school teacher, we think we can get up on some moral high ground and look down on people like King David and look down like people at our own family or the people down the rows and say, at least I'm better than them. You know, Judas, Judas Iscariot, the man who followed Jesus for three years, who called him, uh, who was a disciple of Christ, He's often looked at as the most despised sinner, right? Even Jesus said about him, it would be better for you if you were not born. 
And then Dante's Inferno has Judas in the, in the lowest circle of hell, the, the area reserved only for traitors, the area of the most suffering. And you're like, just like we sang before this, we're Judas's kiss. We've all betrayed Christ. It's not about who's done it more or most. We've all broken our marriage vows and our relationship to Christ. We've all gotten in bed and slept with idols, gods that were not the true God. And this is how repentance impacts our life. Repentance changes the way we look at sin because what it does, it stops us from ranking other people's sins and it forces us to start recognizing our sins. That's what repentance does. It comes into our life and it stops us from ranking other people's sins and it forces us to look at others because a crowd of people came up to Jesus and they said, what did these people to deserve what they got? And Jesus answered them. He said, unless you repent, you too will perish. And what Jesus was saying was really something that he had more famously said before. You might recognize it. The world recognizes this passage as wise. Matthew 7 why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Stop looking at others, Jesus said, and examine yourself. Recognize your sins. You know, a group of people came up to Jesus and they gave him a headline that happened. So let me give you one. February 14th. And surely no one would killed at a Florida school shooting, right? And surely no one would go so far as to somehow insinuate that the 17 innocent people that lost their lives, that they were, were deserving of what happened. And yet, post after post after post shows up online where, where groups of people, many people, try to say that somehow people who support the Second Amendment are more guilty of what happened there. Oh, and what are those accused those accused of being more guilty do? Well, they turn right around. They turn right around and they look at people of the other political persuasion and they say, you know what? At least I am not a worse sinner than you. And they pull out all sorts of moral, uh, sweeping moral judgments about people and say, at least I don't sin like that. And it goes on and on in every aspect of our lives. We say, at least I don't use that kind of language or at least I I don't cheat on my taxes to that extent. At least I'm not as big a hypocrite as the person sitting behind me. At least I do more of this. At least I do less of this. But no. What does Jesus say? Unless you repent, you too will die. Repentance changes our lives because it forces us to stop ranking others' sins. And it forces us to start recognizing our own sins. Because the question isn't really, did they deserve what they're getting? The question isn't, are you and I getting what we deserve? The real question is, why is it that we are getting what we don't deserve? That's why Jesus told this parable. He told a parable about a man who owned a vineyard. The man represents God. He told a parable involving a caretaker of the vineyard, a man who represents Jesus. He told a story about a tree that represents us. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to go look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. 
So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it, fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. I'm certainly not a vineyard owner and I've never worked in a vineyard, but I don't know if I would allow a tree that stood there, mature, fully grown, to last for three years, sucking up nutrients from the soil, taking up space, sucking up time and energy from those who cared for it. I don't know if I'd let it go for three years. And I don't know if I'd agree to a caretaker coming and say, hey, just giving it another opportunity. Just give it one more year to suck up the sun, to suck up the soil and the nutrients. But that's what our God did. That's what Jesus did. When I was a sophomore in college, I took an intro to psychology class. And, and during that, there was a unit on addictions. The professor, he had us read a story, um, a case study, that was about a man who, who had a sexual addiction. And I had never heard of such a thing before. And so you can imagine how shocked I was when I read that this married man had over 50 sexual encounters, had over 50 different affairs with 50 different women in just under five years of marriage. Shocked. Scandalous, right? Well, that's not what shocked me and surprised me the most about this case study. What surprised me the most is how it ended. The article talked about this man's wife. This man's wife who didn't leave him despite the fact that he betrayed her more times than he could count, she didn't leave him. Despite the fact that he betrayed her time and times again, hundreds of times, she helped him through his addiction. Shocked me. It surprised me. Scandalized me. Until it humbled me. And you realize that that is the level of love that Christ shows you. That is the level of determination. That is the level of patience. That is the level of love that knows no bounds. That is the level of forgiveness of far as the east is from the west. That's how far I've removed my sins from you type of love that Christ has shown you. It's the type of love that God shows you in his son when he sent him to you to give you a second chance at life. And not just a second chance at life, but a whole new life. You see, there has been so many times where we have betrayed our God, where we have been men and women planted in the garden of God who just sit there doing nothing, producing no fruit that shows that Christ is in us. And yet when the time had come for Christ to cut us down, he said, give him another chance. Give him just one more opportunity. That's what repentance does for believers. Repentance turns our lives into a time of grace. It turns the time that we have here on this life into a time of grace for all of us. Listen, 2 Peter chapter 2 explains this. Peter writes this, he said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some people understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Our time of grace is something that our God gives us out of love. 
A God who wants every single person in this world to be with him. A God who, who sent his son for the world. He gives us time for all of us to repent, to change. To change the way we're living and live for him. For Christian people, this time, this time of grace, is a time where we get to live in this world experiencing his grace. Get to experience his love and his forgiveness. For all the times that we mess up, for all the times that we sin, for all the times we cheat on our God, we get to experience his love, his forgiveness, another chance to live for him, to live in the light of his love, and live compelled by his love to show him love. But unbelievers have a time of grace too. People who aren't in Christ have a time of grace as well. And it's a time for them to change. It's a time for them to repent. It's a time for them to stop living the way they are and change and turn to God. So the question this morning is with, with the one more year, with the urgency of our time of grace, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the time of grace that you have? Christian friends, may your time of grace, and more than that, may the message of God's grace fill you up as you live a life of repentance, a life of complete changedness and complete faithfulness as you live producing fruit for your God. May that time of grace and may that message of grace fill you up as you live and you stop ranking other sins, you start, you start recognizing your own sins but even better than that, realizing that you have a savior from sin. Amen.